time. Saturday night's a lot of fun, too. If you guys haven't been, check out the Saturday night service. It's, it's a great chance to be with more of our church family together. Uh, well, we've been, we've been enjoying California a lot. Uh, we're enjoying being back. Uh, we, I, I, I was grateful to share with you before. We talked a little bit about our transition here. Uh, but I'm just I'm grateful for, to be back. It's been fun to be back in California. But I've had to remember a little bit of what it means to be in California. Because there's just small differences between Reno and here. So in Reno, uh, or here, I realized I can ride my bike almost year-round. So I ride my bike to campus. I don't have to worry about snow and, and ice and slipping and, and sliding into the middle of uh, intersections and flipping my bike over, which I did multiple times in Reno, or, or with gardening. In, in Reno, it was a very special experience. I tried to garden in Reno. And while I was there, you'd have to battle snow one day, and then the next day battle blistering 90-degree weather. Your plants are just going crazy. I had squash bug armies that invaded my, my, my plants. And, and all of this just to pull out one or two squash, uh, maybe a tomato or two from this, this cold, hard, hot desert ground in Reno. And then here I come and I'm reminded that California is a land of perpetual bounty. Uh, the other day we're running around our, our backyard with Levi, um, and I was playing with him. And if you've ever hung out with two-year-olds or made a practice of that, you know that's not the most calm and relaxing and reflective thing. So he, we're running around, we're playing in the backyard, and I just stopped for just a moment to pause and look around the backyard and kind of take a breath. And as I did, I noticed our lemon tree was, was laden with hundreds of lemons that were ripe in the middle of winter, and it was just totally unexpected. I didn't think about that at all. So we've been squeezing lemons for the last several weeks and days. We even, even had guests. Our friend from Bulgaria came and helped us make lemonade with all of these lemons. Um, we just, we had hundreds of them. And I think, I thought it was interesting because we were surprised by this fruit um, that, that just happened. Um, the reason why I tell the story is because I think the same is true for the different seasons of our lives. Um, as Christians, as individuals, and as a church, that God has fruit for us. The Lord has fruit for us, individually and communally, in every season of life, even in this season of transition for us as a church. And we don't want to miss the opportunity for growth and clarity as a church that God has given us and created for us in this season. So this morning, I wanted to take a time for us just to pause as a church, like I did in the backyard, and just breathe and look around and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? What fruit might you have for us in this season? So let me pray for us as, before we, as we jump into the word. Father, we're grateful for your presence here this morning. We, we pray that as we take a moment to just stop and breathe and look around, would you show us what fruit you might have for us in this season? Lord, what is it that you're doing with us and in us and through us in this season? We thank you, Father, that you're here that you're with us, that you're leading and guiding us. Would you speak to us this morning? Amen. All right, so I want to look at a major transition that Israel, the people of God, went through. Um, so this morning, we're going to look at Joshua 1 together. You can open up just to Joshua 1, chapter 1. It's, it's towards the beginning of, your, of the Bible in your pew. Um, so here's, the, here's, here's, here's where we start. Joshua 1 opens, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. I mean, what a way to start a book, right? 
It's, this is a book about Joshua, and it starts with Moses is dead. And then he tells him a second time. The Lord says, you know, Moses is dead. I mean, I kind of feel bad for Joshua, because that's kind of a rough way to have your book open up, right? But it, it was no minor transition. This was Moses. Moses was a big deal. Moses' highlight reel might read something like this. He freed God's people from enslavement and spoke with authority and power to the kings and the rulers of their day. He was the guy that performed miracles, including parting a sea for the people of Israel to cross on and bringing water out of a rock. This was the guy that met with God face to face and learned his personal name. Before Moses, no one knew God's name. But God told Moses, my name is Yahweh. He led the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness after he brought them out of enslavement, wandering, leading this whole group of people. He led them to military victories. His face actually shined from being in the presence of the glory of God, so much so that the people of Israel forced him or, or asked him to cover up his face because they, did, they, they couldn't handle it. Even here in our passage, he's identified as Moses, the servant of the Lord. And the, the word for the Lord here is the Lord's name, Yahweh. So when, when they think, oh, God, Yahweh, the, the one we worship, if we think of his servant, they, they go straight to Moses. He is the servant of the Lord. That's the guy that Joshua is stepping up behind. <coughs> Excuse me. After that kind of an intro, this, the, the next guy has to be feeling a little bit like the second president of the United States. John Adams, for those of you that might not be brushed up on your U.S. history. Or, or like The Lion King 2. You know, that kind of, the sequel that nobody knew existed, but the one that came after the movie that everyone loved. Um, but in seriousness, this must have been a big transition for Israel. This must have been a really hard moment where they had some really big questions. They might have been asking, are we still going to continue as a community? For them, they, they had 12 tribes. They'd started as 12 brothers. Um, they'd been brought out of slavery. But Moses had led them as, as a large people for a long time. Are they, were they still going to continue as a community? What united them? They might have been asking the question, is God still going to be with us? A couple of times, Moses even had to stand in the gap between Israel and and. God to say, no, God, don't destroy them. I know they're disobedient, but, but continue to be with us. Don't leave us. Now that Moses was gone, was God still going to be with them? They might have even been asking, are God's promises still true? Now that Moses, the guy who, who got them from God, is gone, are his promises still going to stay true for us? Well, it seems like a strange intro to the book of Joshua, but I think that's the only way they could have started this book. And I think that's where we get our first lesson in transition from them. Uh, that they take a moment to remember where they're coming from. Uh, and I think that's a great lesson for us. They took a moment to, to honor and remember Moses. And I think the first way they did that is, is honoring those that have served and formed their community. And I think we could take a moment to do the same. Because God, God had used Moses to profoundly shape Israel, who they were, what they, what they believed, what it meant to be an Israelite, what it meant to be a follower of God. He was a man worthy of great honor. Not acknowledging Moses would have meant forgetting the glory 
and the goodness and the graciousness of God that he had demonstrated through Moses in his life. Honoring Moses actually gave God glory, and it gave them a great example. It gave the Israelites an example of what it meant to be a follower of God. For us, in our story, I think we have such a blessed history as a church. We have so many elders and servants and leaders and, and, and deacons and people that have served this church in our history. Practically, I think we need to honor them. Uh, as members of, of, of this church, uh, they, they have served our, our deacons and elders and staff, and we can take a moment to honor them. Uh, second, or 1 Timothy 5.17 actually says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. We can honor them. So if, on a practical basis, if you see uh, people that have served, whether it's in the worship band or have served as staff in the church or serve in the back, um, or especially the elders and the deacons and, the, and those that have served to lead us as a church, thank them. They are worthy of great honor. Because where we are today, we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for their service and sacrifice and leadership of this church. As we honor them, it's not just giving them thanks, it's, it's remembering God's goodness to us as a church. And, and it's, it, it's a good, it, just like Moses was a great example of what it meant to be a faithful follower, they are phenomenal examples to us. So I want to say thank you to those that have served, um, the elders that, that have served as elders, that are currently serving as elders. Thank you for leading us as a church. But they didn't just stop. Israel didn't just stop at remembering and just honoring. They, they also remembered how they had been shaped as a community by their leader, like by, by Moses and those that came before him. Uh, Deuteronomy is Moses's kind of last sermon to the Israelites. Um, and, I, and I appreciate it because it happens right before Joshua picks up. So Moses kind of gives this last sermon, then after Deuteronomy, after he kind of preaches and gives Deuteronomy, he goes up on the mountain, and that's where he dies, and the Lord kind of buries him and takes him up. Um, but Deuteronomy is a reflection and a retelling of the common, their common story as they prepare for a new season of life as a community. Moses, in it, Moses reminded them of their values, of God's promises, of his law, of, what, of who they were as Israel and what it meant to be a follower of God. And we have a story worth remembering, too. I mean, over the years, we have been formed into a church that loves our city. We're a church that cares for one another. Um, I, know, I know many of us have been cared for in times of great need, when there's been a health issue or something else. This church has cared for each other well. We're a church that's willing to take risks of faith and expect God to show up. We're a church that gives and partners generously with God's work around the world, from Zimbabwe to here locally. And we're a church that's committed to God's word and truth. Like those are some powerful things about who God has shaped us to be that we need to remember. That's, that's, a, that's a legacy for us to rely on as we continue forward into this next season. But like Israel, we can't get, stu we can't get stuck looking backwards. Israel doesn't stand around and pine for the good old days or the way it used to be, which is usually what they do in these circumstances. They look back at Egypt and go, you know, it was kind of better to be slaves. Uh, but here they don't. They keep moving forward. So let's look at that. Verse 2 continues on. Now then, you and all of these people, get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. 
I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to, to Lebanon and, to the, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. They don't get stuck looking backwards and gazing backwards. They continue in the direction and the purpose that God had set for them for a long time. They had been moving towards the promised land for generations, for a long time. Ever since it was promised to Abraham, and now God has led them up to it. So even now as they pause to acknowledge their leaders and, and a new season for their community, God needs to remind them, this was never a story about Moses. This was always the story of God and his people. The Lord's plan, purpose, and story will not end with Moses. And that's good news. That's good news. Moses, the great prophet, the servant of the Lord, only gets one and a half verses in this book before the Lord calls this community into something new. Moses spent a third of his life wandering with the Israelites in the wilderness, waiting for the time when God would lead them into the promised land. He dies before they do. And then the time was upon them. The time was now. God wanted to use this season to lead them into a deeper faith, into deeper promises, and into deeper knowledge of him. So my question for us today is, where might God want to lead us in this season that we've never been before as a church? What new thing might the Lord want to do in us? With InterVarsity, we do a lot of transition. Uh, it's part of the nature of our ministry. Uh, with, with, I mean, we're with college students, so even, even the longest life of a fellowship might be five to six years because everybody graduates and they move on. Um, we had some faithful people that stuck around with us for about nine years in Reno, but that is not the normal case. <laughs> I'm sure their parents were sad about that. What that means is you change majors more than a few times. Uh, so the average fellowship life is around, uh, is around five or six years, as you, as you gra- or four years for some as you graduate. Um, and even on, on the staff side, staff, the average staff career is around three to five years. There's a lot of transition and moving to, between different campuses and all that. So there tends to be a lot of transition. We had been in Reno for six years. So a lot of all of our students, um, even our staff, we were the only leaders they knew that were leading this ministry. Um, but as we prayed... Uh, in this last season, about, God, about whether God wanted us to leave Reno and come here, there was a, a distinct and clear call for us that we heard. We were like, God wants, to do, wants us to do ministry in a new way. But not only that, he wants to do a new thing in Reno. We had raised up a, 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 one of our staff, a guy I had discipled as, as a sophomore. His name was Brandon. Um, and when we looked at Brandon, we said, he's ready to lead this fellowship. We, we need to get out of the way. All right, Lord, we'll follow you into something new. We can, we can move. You want to do something new here. And, and the Lord is faithful. He's been doing wonderful things in Reno since we've left under Brandon's leadership. In fact, we, we heard they're going to be hosting a Reno Urban Project. So they're bringing students from a number of campuses to Reno to learn what God has been doing in that city, to, to look at issues of justice and poverty. Um, they're going to come, and, and they're hosting this experience. That is something I can honestly say would have never happened if Jackie and I had stayed in Reno. It's just not something that we would have led that fellowship into. The Lord is at work in doing a new thing. So for us as a church, 
where does the Lord want to lead us that we have never been before? But for all of us, as we stand on the edge of transition, uh, for, for Brandon, as he stood to take over this fellowship in, in Reno, that, that was a hard thing. There was a lot of transition there. Um, there could be some tension. For the Israelites, as they stand on the border of the promised land and they look into the promised land, they've got to be asking themselves, how are we going to do this? I think that the text answers that question. I think the answer that it gives is find your strength and courage in God's presence and in his word. Verse 5 says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be very strong and courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God commands Joshua and his people three times in this passage to be strong and courageous. But I don't think it's any coincidence that that command is sandwiched between two promises of the Lord's presence. He starts this section with, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then he ends it, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. They know that they can only find strength and courage in God's presence. As a community, they can't find their vision and reassurance anywhere else. Not even Moses could give them that. Moses was the one that stood in between and, and got that from God and passed it to Israel. So not even Moses could do that. So God calls them, he commands them, be strong and courageous. Don't shrink back from the call I've given you. Four years ago, they had been afraid, and then they had wandered for 40 years because they were too afraid to walk into God's call and promise. So he tells them this time, be strong and courageous. I think the truth is that we can see in this that's so powerful is that when God is with us, we have all that we need. When God is with us, we have all that we need. One of the common conversations that we have often with our students, uh, because they're in college, they, they sit down with us and they're like, oh man, they're, they're hyperventilating, they're anxious, they're going, I have to figure out now what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I, I, I got to know my career and who I'm going to get married to, and it's just so much, it's so, it's so big. And I, uh, every time I have this conversation, I'm always like, honestly, yeah, that's pretty overwhelming. If I, was, if I had to pick my own wife and and figure out what I was going to do for, the re for my career and make a perfect plan for my life, it's pretty, it causes a lot of anxiety. That freaks me out. It's a lot of pressure. Because I know that I'm just not that insightful. <laughs> I'm just not that brilliant. And, and if I'm really honest, I'm, I'm a pretty poor planner. Uh, so if it was all up to me, that's a pretty scary thing. But it's, how different is it when we have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us? When we have God in, in control of our lives and leading us, it is a lot easier to be strong and courageous. It's not about working harder and doing all the right things myself. It's just about trusting God to lead us. How powerful is that? When we trust 
We can trust in God to control and, and guide our lives. What, what that shows me and what I love about that is that it's about his power and his wisdom, not ours. And that's freedom. There's nothing more reassuring than the Lord's presence when he calls us to be strong and courageous. Um, we, we were traveling for Christmas, um, and we, we spent some time in Michigan with Jackie's parents and um, Jackie and, and I, and we went out there to visit some of her family. So we were right, we, we all, we rented a big van. Uh, so it was Jackie's parents in front, and then Levi and Jackie, and I was in the way back with all the luggage kind of crammed in, um, wedged in in a little corner, and, and Levi wasn't used to that. It was interesting, because Levi was there, and he'd, he'd be looking around, and then every once in a while, he just goes, Dada? Dada? Like, where's dad? Like, we've left him behind. And so I would just reach over, and all I could do was kind of touch his head, and, and he'd go, oh. And he just kind of sigh, a sigh of relief. He was just comforted by the presence of his dad, uh, comforted by the presence of his father. And how much is that like us, that when our father is with us, we have all that we need. We know that his strength and his wisdom are going to guide and protect us. But he'd given them more than just his presence, right? Right in between those promises of his presence is a challenge to be people of the word. He says, be careful to obey all of the law that I gave my servant Moses. He challenges them to be people of the word. Keep it on their lips. He wants them to teach it and speak it to one another. That everywhere they go, they're encouraging each other with scripture. That they're teaching and reminding each other of what the Lord has told them. He wants them to meditate on it day and night. So that as they go through their days and their nights, they would be thinking and dwelling on the word of God. And letting it transform them and change them. But... And I love this. He doesn't stop at just saying, hey, learn about it and talk about it. He says, I want you to do it. Be careful to do the word and obey it. To be strong and courageous, they have to stand firm on, on the, the word of God. They need to be people of the word. Personally, meditating on the word. Corporately, sharing with one another. And in action, doing it together. So if we want to be Excuse me. If we want to follow God with strength and courage in this next season, we need to be people that are firmly planted on the Word of God. Personally, that means reading and meditating on Scripture, being in the Word ourselves. Corporately, being here on Sundays together or on Saturday nights for our group last night. In life groups and throughout the week, sharing the Word, being in the Word together. And in action, continuing to be people that live transformed and transforming lives together. Our challenge here is to find our strength and courage in God's presence and in his word. So Joshua continues on, and his first action as a leader is to make sure that his people are focused on the mission of God and unified as a family. And this is a longer section, so we'll just read through it, but then we'll, I'll kind of summarize as, as we, uh, at the end of it. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, we're going to cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that, the, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all of your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest. 
as he has done for you. And until they, and, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them, after that, you may go back to occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. And then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The Reubenites, the Gadites, in this half-tribe of Manasseh uh, were part of the 12 tribes of Israel that had come from these 12 brothers, the sons of, of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, had 12 sons, um, and those became these tribes. But these tribes, as, as they wandered through the wilderness, had taken over a couple of kingdoms. And after a while, they said, you know, Moses, this is pretty good land. We would like to settle here. And Moses said, that's fine. It's not part of the promised land that God has kind of sent us to. Uh, but you can settle there as long as you go and, and help your brothers to take, on the condition that they, they help their brothers to take the land when the time came. Joshua's first step was to prepare the community of God to walk into his promise together. He wasn't going to push forward without making sure they were unified and focused on this mission together. This could have been a time when they were fractured as a people. Their leader had died. They had these 12 tribes with 12 different uh, priorities. But instead, this became a moment for them as a community where they found renewed vision, renewed identity, service, and urgency. I think the first, they found a renewed vision. There was a missional clarity. They knew what they were about. For them, they were all collectively heirs to the promised land that God was giving them. And they knew that it was their role to take that land together. They needed to take this moment to pause and reprioritize. They, they had to know that it wasn't about their interests, but about God's mission and God's purposes. We don't have a physical promised land today, but we do have a promised kingdom. So what would it look like for us in this time to live with our priority being living with Jesus as king and seeing his kingdom advance in our lives, in our city, and in the world around us? And it, and if all of our other personal priorities came second to God's purposes in our lives and in our community. So a question for us today is how could this season be a time when God gives us renewed clarity and vision and focus on his mission? The second thing that, that this did and that he did was he helped remind them of their communal identity and, and called them to service. What was interesting about this is these two and a half tribes... They, they didn't really stand to benefit personally from taking this land. And yet, Joshua called them to go ahead of the rest of the community. Did you guys catch that? That they were going to be the first ones to cross over. They, that, that's crazy to me because that, you're the first ones stepping into enemy lands and you're the ones that have the least to gain for it. But what a statement that they said, we are a family together. This is our, own, this is our mission together. We, the ones that already have our rest and our place, place of security, are going to go over before you to help provide it for, for the whole of our community. He reminded them that they were brothers, that they were a family together. And one of the things that they knew that I think we sometimes forget is that rest, peace, and purpose are something that we can only find as a whole community. 
This is something that Jackie and I have learned slowly and hard and, and, and in, a, in a challenging way over the last couple of months is we had this great theory that one of us was going to get to sleep in on certain days um, and that Levi and the other one would get up and get things going. But it's not really easy to sleep in when part of your family, to, for part of one of your family to get rest while the rest of them are not. Um, because with a two-year-old, it means running around and banging on things and, and yelling, Mama, down the hall and all sorts of fun things. So we realize that we cannot get rest unless all of us rest as a family. I mean, it's a silly example, but, but it's true. There's something about, as a community, finding rest and life and purpose together. So for us, how might God call us to serve one another as family and community like he did the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that crossed over before their brothers. I think the last thing that, that they get in this moment is a sense of urgency. They could have easily said, Joshua, this is a big transition. So we need to take a pause, take a couple of months just to get used to being a leader, like we'll get used to you, um, and, and just waited. But they don't. God, when God says go, they move. They moved as a community. We just got back from Urbana. It's a student missions conference that InterVarsity helps to host every three years. While I was there, I got to have a conversation with an international student. Um, and it, was, it was just over one of the dinner tables. I'd never met him before, but it was pretty interesting because he, he starts the conversation with me, and he's like, well, what do you think about uh, the church in Europe? What do you know about the church in Europe? Uh, and I kind of shared what some of my friends have shared, we, some, some of the things we've learned from our time in Bulgaria when we took a couple mission trips there about like the, the, the church in Europe feels like a post-Christian society. They said, we were Christian, we're beyond that now. Um, and, then, and then his follow-up question was, well, what do you think about America? Do you think America is headed in the same direction? And, and I had to pause for a moment because my answer, what I was thinking, actually surprised me. And this is, similar, this is about what I said to him. I told him, you know, actually, I think that's a really important question because how we choose to respond to racial inequality, to confusion around sexuality, to, to the challenges, to the truth of the gospel in this time, um, in this generation, not, not generation age-wise, but generation time-wise, will affect deeply how our culture understands with, and engages with Jesus in the time to come. It matters a lot how we engage as a church we need the same urgency that Israel had in this moment for our time. As the Israelites paused and took a breath in their time of transition, they reflected on where they'd come from and gained clarity for where they were headed. They were reminded that strength and courage come from the presence and the word and the guidance of God. And they, were, they found renewed focus and unity as, as a community of God. And that same call... That same fruit is available to us today. So I wanted to take a look at a couple of um, applications, um, concrete kind of disciplines that we can do to practice this together as a church. The first, um, I wanted to go over some communal disciplines for us. The first was, we've been talking as a church about a time of fasting and prayer. And really, fasting, I love it as a discipline. Really, what it breaks down to for me, there's a lot of times they practiced it in Scripture. What it breaks down to for me is when the people of God create space for God. Um, fasting is just about making space for God in our lives. And when we do that, God always fills it. So whether it's with food or fasting TV or Facebook or whatever it is for you, let's create space for God because we need to hear from God as a church. 
And even more than each of us individually, we need to hear from him collectively. So let's take our time in fasting to pray for direction for God, from God, for our church, and even ask that he would speak clearly and loudly to the elders that are leading our church today. The second is that we'd continue to obey and be and meditate and do the word together. And that means, for, for some of us, it means committing, in just a simple way, committing to be here together on Sundays. It's hard in a time of transition to, to come to church knowing that each week you're going to see somebody different up front. But what matters is that we're here together as a family, not, not who's up front. Um, being people of the word together. For some of us, it means investing in small groups or, or doing personal quiet times to be with God. The third, I think, is um, serving and asking what is good, what is best. I mean, you can go, go ahead and go to the next slide so we'll have them up there. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, the third is asking, like the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, is what is best for our community and our family? How can I serve, even in ways that might not be the most beneficial thing to me? How can I sacrificially serve my community, this community of God? But... For more than just the communal basis, as us as a church, I think there's a personal application for us in this time. Uh, and this is a discipline that I found really helpful, especially in times, uh, well, all sorts of times. But it's, it's great. It's called the daily examine. And it's, it's, an, it's a posture. It's a discipline that prepares our hearts to receive and hear from God. Um, it was developed by a, a guy named St. Ignatius. He, he had a, an order of monks. that their, their kind of motto was to be contemplatives on the run that they would be monks, instead of withdrawing from the world, that they would be sent out and radically pushed into the world, and that they'd be on the run, but as they did that, they were going to go and reflect and contemplate and be, be aware of the Spirit of God in their lives. This is kind of a simplified, a much simplified version of that, but these questions have been helpful for me in a variety of different seasons. The first says, where did I see the Spirit of God at work today? Um, and that question, as we ask it at the end of each day, helps us see, God, where were you active today? What are you, where are you moving in my life? Where, where can I thank you for your presence in my daily life? Maybe where did I miss you today? And that's the second question. Where did I miss the Spirit of God today? What stopped me from seeing him? What were the things I was focused on instead of God? And the third question, is there a question that I'm holding before the Lord today? Um, and that just recognizes in us, is there a question I have before God? Is there tension? Is there anxiety? Is there fear? Is there worry? What's the question behind that that I need to bring to God and ask him today? And these are some great disciplines for us as a community. But I, I wanted to just take a moment, and I know this is a little bit different. If, if you're not used to this, just have your partner do it. But I, I want to have you guys partner up just now, just for a minute or two, to pray for our church um, to ask for wisdom for our elders and for guidance for us, that God would give us new fruit and clarity and vision in this season. And so right now, just where, wherever you're sitting, pair up with a partner and just take a moment to lift up our church together in prayer.
Father, we thank you that your presence is with us, that you've given us your word to guide us. We thank you that you are leading and speaking and guiding this church. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the fruit you have for us in this season. God, we don't want to miss out on what you have for us. Father, would you give us clarity of vision? Would you give us strength and courage for this season? We thank you, Father, that you are our Lord and our leader and that you go before us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. We love you, Father. In your name we pray these things. Amen.